Welcome to yeah, the yeah. original podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, fellas. Let's do this. So, we know we know you. You know, time is limited. We know you're a busy man. Um, I just want to start off by asking. You know, everybody knows that you're the co-host and co-creator for Drink Champs, and you got Crazy Hook Productions. Yep. But you know, I also know that you have a history of making mixtapes. So, what inspired you to get into the mixtape game? And you know, we, you know, how how this things come about from a mixtape perspective? Yeah, I'll try to give you the the short story, and you guys can hear me fine, right? Just want to make yeah. sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Because mm-hmm. um, it's a long story, but. In short, like, you know, I gravitated towards being a DJ, you know, uh, I was, I just was, you know, a super hip hop head, you know, lived the culture, was a b-boy, graffiti artist. I mean, I did, I was trying to do all the elements of hip hop nice. growing up and, but DJing is what I really gravitated towards. And locally in the scene, I wanted to just, in the beginning, just put on for, for, for Miami, for, for, for home base, for the city. And I wanted to see how could I help, you know, boost our local scene. And I'm looking around me at other DJs and this is when I start you know, when I finally get turntables, I couldn't afford turntables when I was a, you know, younger teenager. Finally able to get Technique 1200, uh-huh. and you know, and I'm and I felt like I was ready to start doing stuff seriously as a DJ. And I'm looking around, I'm seeing other DJs. There's guys that were doing like the parties and and, and the, the early clubs, and then there was guys that were turntableists, world renowned, like DJ Crazy's a world renowned DJ out of Miami from my hood. Um, you know, we had guys like. Uh, well, radio wasn't a big thing yet, but then like underground radio, we had guys doing it. So I was like, I saw a lane open in the mixtape side of things because right. all of our mixtapes came mostly from New York. Right. So so as much as we love those mixtapes, I was saying, OK, you know, it's these mixtapes are dope, but it's kind of foul that we're here bumping mixtapes, shouting out Brooklyn, Queens and the Bronx right. And, right. And, put, and putting on for their, you know, for the underground cats over there. Right. When you know when we're in Miami, so that that's the lane that I chose, and that's what I wanted to, you know, you know, like I just wanted to create that lane for for myself and for the city, and that's where the whole mixtape thing came from. Yeah. You know, for just from just those also, right? Yeah, that was the my first uh, well mixtape award. Yeah, I got an award from Just Those, which it was for being a, I think it was new mixtape DJ. Although I had already been doing mixtapes for you know for years before that but i was still you know you know honored and justo rest in peace to justo he um you know he 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 did a lot for the mixtape community and mixtape djs and he told me early on because you know i'm still in the south and the south was still wasn't what it what it is today and you know but people like justin there's a lot of people some folks in the industry that saw the future in the south and he was always like telling me yo e you know keep doing what you're doing you know i see what you're doing out there and eventually, you know, I got an award at the Justos Mixtape Awards. Nice. I'm talking about mixtape. Talk about what you considered your passion project another time. Talk about putting that together. Yo, man, that that was such a dream come true. I mean, I think any mixtape DJ, they would want to put together an album because ultimately you're doing compilation albums every time you do a mixtape. Correct. You know, and you're A&R and you're picking the songs and the artists and this, that, you know, and mix and matching. So that's that was something I always wanted to do. but. I just, you know, I felt like it just was never the right time. It, resources weren't there for it. I, I wanted to do it right is what I'm saying. Right, right. So there was a point, um, I forget the exact year, but it came out in 2015. Um, right. So it only took me a year to put the album together, which is actually from everybody I spoke to, they was like, that was pretty good for a project of that magnitude. We had 66 artists on the album. Um, shout out to my homie, KGB, who helped me with it, Kether. He's, uh, he's, 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 you know, A&R on the project as well. And I just, you know, I just said, now's the time. I felt like it felt right. And, and I went ahead and put it together. And 
And if it wasn't for all the relationships and everything that, that had happened before that album, right. that album couldn't have happened because I couldn't have afforded that album in reality. Right. But it, it, it was relationships and friendships and artists that I'm cool with that, yeah. you know, gave me verses and, and, and producers and people that just came, you know, when it came down to it, they, they had my back and I was able to do that album. Man, you had the likes of Primo, Buckwild, Hazardous Sound, Inspector Deck. You, I mean, the list goes on. I'm yeah, like, yeah. wow, you really had to put some work into man. Kudos to you. Oh, thank you, man. Great job, man. Thanks. It was an excellent blend of artists on there. Thank you. Yeah, and, and the whole point was to, to make it like a mixtape where you just, you know, you mix and match all these artists maybe you didn't think of that might sound good together and artists from different regions and underground cats and new cats and, and pioneers and legends and that was just like i said it was a dream come true to put that project together right. Right. now what was what was uh throughout your 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 life uh as far as in the music industry what was the biggest no that you had to accept and you turned it around into a winning situation Man, there's so many no's in that motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I just think that, and I don't know that this is necessarily a no, but just from the moment that I decided that I wanted to, to take music and, and, and make a career out of music, and specifically in hip hop, the minute that I decided that and started telling people around me, just from the fact that we were in Miami and then even the, the, the neighborhood that I come from in Miami, People were just like, man, you don't know anybody. Like, this doesn't make sense. It's gonna be a failure. Like, don't even put yourself out there like that. Haters you know? Yeah, I mean, it's sometimes it's not even haters. You know, I've talked with a lot of people, and sometimes your family and or your girlfriend or someone that sometimes they actually care and they just don't want to see you fail and get hurt. Hurt, right? You know, and they just like, come on, man. Like, you ain't gonna go nowhere with this. You know it. You know, this, this Cuban kid from Miami, from Kendall, like, come on, man, get out, get over. It. And then, but I, to me, I'm like, nah, like, like I could see it. You know, my my thing is, I kind of like envision the the path, and you know, that might change, and you might hit roadblocks and bumps. But if you can kind of like see it, you know, you you know, and I could see it. I'm like, nah, nah, I, I see the way, man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a truck through it, and and then you know, luckily I had some good friends around me, my crew from high school days that were the crazy hood crew and and you know they were die hard we're all just die hard hip-hop heads and we're like you know fuck that let's do it man and we were like a little army going through they uh -huh. we went to source magazine one year uh, we went up to new york and they called us the 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 spanish wu-tang clan you know even though <laughs> even though not everybody in my crew is spanish you know but but they all still right. you know the majority of us is colombians and cubans and puerto rico so they were like, look at the Spanish Wu-Tang Clan come through here. <laughs> your mixtapes, your mixtapes open doors in terms of marketing, promo marketing and uh, promotion. So what was it like going from, I'd imagine as a DJ, you were probably chasing down labels to get music to probably the flip side of that is now labels and people coming to you like, we need this out there, we need the promotion. What was that yeah. shift like? Yo, let me tell you, that shit was crazy too, because I remember buying my first records and just scraping up bread or doing little hustles to get money to buy equipment and buy records and i had this one crate that was like half full and i remember one day i'm gonna fill up this crate with records and that's gonna be like i, I did it you know i did it and then long and behold like if i turn the, the the laptop around i have a quarter of my records which isn't the full amount of records i ended up having i ended up having thirty thousand records in my wow. collection Dang. and what ended up happening is you know 
and I was one of those dudes that would travel to get records because in Miami we're getting stuff late at that time in the early to mid 90s and I would go to Georgia I'll go to Atlanta I'll go you know up the east coast uh, Jersey New York and all that and buy records and stuff and so what happened is, is the, the mixtape lane that I chose and I also did underground radio and uh, college radio even though I wasn't going to college at the time I did the UM radio station I deboed my way to be to have my own show there and um and because mix show in miami wasn't really playing hip-hop yet the 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 club scene was like they played a little hip-hop in the club scene out here but it was still like the bougie club shit mm. that they wouldn't even let hip-hop heads in you know they wouldn't let black and brown people in and so so it was mainly parties and stuff so a, a mixtape dj in miami and markets like miami we were the only way that labels could break their records you know and pirate radio so so i became crucial to these labels and and you know and at one point now i'm just they start sending me records and, and i'm getting leaks i ended up buying a dat machine because i found out that all these a lot of the, the big mixtape djs especially you know in new york and stuff yeah. the way that they would get leaks straight from the studio so they would yep. get it on dat tapes i don't know if y'all know you know yeah yeah um, so I ended up, you know, I, I hustled it up and got a dat tape, and then I'm hitting up these A&Rs and these label people like, yo, I need leaks, you know, if you want, if you want me to really support your other records, I need to get these exclusives from you guys. The same time you give it to Clue, same time you give it to whoever, I want that too. And then I started getting the leaks and stuff. Nice, yeah, stuff, man. And <clears throat> it seems like you're a man of many hats, from A&R to producer, manager, film production. Yeah, try. How important to you? How important to you is the imagination? Oh, imagination is everything. Without imagination and creativity, you know, don't even be in the arts. You know, or don't even do business. Don't be an entrepreneur because you have to have an imagination to believe in yourself to do create your own businesses and stuff. But the the many hats thing came out of necessity because, you know, out the gate, the dream by itself isn't going to make you any money. You're not gonna not going to sustain yourself so i was just doing different things that relatable to the dream to support the dream Correct. and trying to find any kind of revenue streams you know that that you know once you put them all together it was enough to keep things moving in the right direction and that's the only reason i, I wouldn't have done all those things had i had i popped off just mixtapes or popped off with just a, a group that i managed I wouldn't have done all that other stuff, but I, it was out of necessity that I had to, and I'm grateful because it allowed me to learn 360 all the different roles in the game, and I can appreciate everybody's position in it, and I can see it from all angles, you know, when I'm dealing with different things that I'm doing. Yeah, and and, and, and take me through what what it is artistically you see when you're going through a promotional campaign because you've had a you've had a gig with Coca-Cola before. Yeah, I mean, all of that is a result of hip hop stuff, you know. I, I promoted my 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 own company with my crew and that raised the eyebrows of, of local reps for labels and at one point we ended up uh, our marketing company i must have worked every single label at one point and then that then they they refer you to like when coca-cola is trying to do like grassroots or urban marketing right. promotion they would refer them to, to us and we ended up doing movies and coke and bacardi and all these different things nice. but uh my thing with that man is I just use the same tactics I would use to promote my company. You know, to me, it's all about grassroots. It's about, you know, visibility. I also had this whole thing where it's like, people don't have to like you, but it, they need to know about you. Um, right. And then then you once they know about you then, you, then you turn around and get them to turn around to like you, but first let them know about you. So if anybody ever asked in the city, like, you know, about this brand or about me or about whatever, 
yeah, yeah oh, I've heard of that. Like you want them to say, I've, I've heard of that. And then you, you work on getting them to really know about what you're doing after that. That makes sense. Correct, good stuff. What was uh, one, like, I guess maybe two, if you can give us two two answers to this. Yeah. What was the, what was the biggest record that you, that you wrote to where it's like, uh, you might have felt that at that particular time, whatever venue was doing, it might not, it might not be the one, but you took a risk and you and you and you, and you played that record and you got a great, a great uh, response from that. So you're talking from a DJ standpoint or from a marketer standpoint? Well, both, both. And okay, and both is hard for me to to actually say because I suffer from a condition called Bacardi brain. Um, and, and aka drunk facts where we were off by a couple of years or a couple of names but and it's just so many records like i'm the worst guy when you're like give me you know your top whatever because it's just like as a dj i feel like we have so much information in our mind that it's hard to just like say oh yeah just this definitively this and definitively that like that's that's difficult um i could tell you some dope stories that, that pop out in terms of like working some records that i thought was pretty amazing um we we worked uh kanye through the well we worked all of kanye's first stuff and and i remember when um when you know he got in the accident and stuff and he wanted to put out through the wire and i and and i worked for def jam at the time and def jam wasn't really i I might be wrong but like i said drunk facts to a degree but (laughs) it didn't seem like def jam was ready to pull the trigger on the budget or on that single or something was going on behind the scenes that it wasn't happening and I and I've noticed this same scenario happen for a lot of artists in the game. So Kanye took it upon himself to get the information of all the street team guys in in the country, set up his own conference call. Uh, so I, I, I'm assuming he funded sending out the records himself to everybody, and then getting on the call and saying, "Look, guys, this is my record. This is my new single. You know, fine. You know, Kanye gonna be Kanye. So he's he's getting us hype on the conference call." <laughs> But there's no Def Jam like people on the call, it's just him, you know. And 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 then he ended up coming out to the markets himself, working the records, going to radio. I remember I, I got some ill drops. I, he did like a freestyle for my mixtape at that time. Nice. Um, and I just, it, you know, he just like he, it taught me something like just that you know if you he believed in it so much. Right. That he was gonna go out on a limb. He was gonna go against the grain, which he always has. Right. <laughs> you know, you know good, good or bad, he always has. You know, um, and I just thought that was that just very memorable for me because it ended up working. And that might not have been the biggest record on that album, but that set the tone for us to get you know Jesus walks eventually, yeah. which I knew when I heard the album, Ooh, I knew yeah. that that was the one. That was it. And, um, but. You know that was the era of you don't put your best record out first that was the era of you you put out a, a, a pretty good record you set the tone mm-hmm. get people's attention and then once you got their attention you hit them with the, the banger you know yeah a classic album let me um let me ask you this we have ron g dj ron g yeah a legend man a legend. and i asked him you know and i asked you from your perspective as a dj what was it like to transition from 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 turntables to serato was that an easy transition for you Bro, I'll tell you, I'm still haven't really transitioned. <laughs> I, I ended up getting sponsored by uh, Native Instruments Tractor, which I'm looking. My turntables are right in front of me, and I got all the equipment. They sent me everything, which I feel terrible because I'm sure there's somebody, you know, DJ in need that could have taken all that stuff and flipped it. 
And you know, and I never really, really, truly made the transition. Like I basically retired truly DJing at that point. Mm. You know, mm. and, and I mean, to be honest with you, I've seen incredible DJs transition perfectly and even do better because with the technology, it allows them to do so much more. Mm-hmm. But it's just I, I come to me, it was a culture being a, a vinyl DJ, you know, turn around, going through records and like just really quick. You knew the, the, the cover, or the, oh, the label right. and you pull that. And in, in time, in seconds, you got to move everything around. And, and yeah, you know, man. and then you break your the bad side was you broke your back bringing all these records to the club. Um, and that was just all the culture for me, man. And, and once that changed it to me, it changed the kind of like what I signed up for to be a DJ. And I, I have an appreciation for the art form. I, I love the technology and what it's done for great DJs like my boy Craze that I've mentioned already. He's amazing on all, you know, using that stuff. But I never truly made the transition, to be honest. Yeah. Your story similar to Ron G's, because Ron G said the same thing that he got a sponsorship. He was like, I think he said somebody paid him like five grand or something and gave him the equipment. And then when he, <laughs> said, he, he said he finally used it. Let me, let me see if I can show you. Uh, yeah. You can see. <laughs> yeah. he, 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 when he finally used it, he took it out and that people were clowning him in a club because it was it was I forget what brand it was. Everybody was on Serato and he was on the other brand. And oh, yeah. It's like that because he had a sponsorship that he, he had, had a tractor. Yeah. But he said he, it ended up growing up on him and he appreciated it afterwards. But I could imagine like if you're a purist as a DJ making that shift from going, you know, the actual element of looking for records and having a record sent to you and you know if you're, if you're somebody who's really really that close to the culture and the art form to then somebody dropping your lap forget the records here's your laptop right. you know your controller go at it it's just how do you like i couldn't catch the vibe the same way look like looking n- never mind that i'm getting older my eyesight sucks but looking through the laptop you know looking at, at the words that wasn't the way that i i knew it was the record i don't know i just already knew by the way that the record looked where it was in the stack i already knew okay this is the vibe i'm going for it's it's in this crate and you know this far back mm-hmm. boom got it I, doing that looking at it right on the laptop just changed that whole thing for me man right, i just right. I, I couldn't i, I want to listen i want to try i want to get but i i believe you know i used to sit in the in in my room practicing sets for hours and now i got kids it's not happening you know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> and you probably you probably respect the same sentiment of being in the studio with the artist versus the artist emailing you or you yeah. email the artist. Like That's I think the quality of music comes out better when both the producer and the artist are just bouncing ideas off of one another in the same atmosphere versus y'all yeah, gonna send you the 16 and you just add it to whatever beat you got. You know what bothers me the most out of that? And you know, I'm a I'm maybe I'm a little indifferent only because I'm a mixtape DJ and when they would send me a verse, I just whatever, just send me an exclusive. But, but as a as a fan of the music and listening to when people do that, like on an album that I that I buy or whatever, or an artist that I'm listening to, when you hear the difference in the tone because the mic they used was different, the studio they was in, the compressors were different. When you hear that different tone, you're like, ah oh, man, they just, they just sent them that verse. Ah oh, man, I can hear it. <laughs> Example, I'm sure you probably heard the Nas um, King's Disease album, and you listen to the Firm track. Yep. Yeah, you can tell. Like, yeah, you're like, it's, you could tell. But the, you know, the, the positive with it, I get a sense that Hit Boy was actually in the studio with Nas. Oh no, you they, they have oh, yeah. tons of footage of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, but just, just the, the sent-in verses, you could tell, like, just the mix and everything is... is We're not going to get back to everybody being in the studio. We're, it's just like, you know, post-COVID, we're not going to get back to everybody doing right. everything physically. You know, we're, right. we're here in this new world, digital, the same thing with the studio. Like, it's too convenient for someone halfway across the country to have to fly in to work with you if they could just send in the verse. I mean, right. I'm not mad at that part of it. Right, right, right. And speaking of other countries, man, I watched your, your documentary, you and your boy Garcia going over to Cuba. Thank you. What was it? What was it like visiting Cuba one? And then how much did it change your your, your perspective on life coming back to the state? Man, it made me appreciate everything I complained about, man. And I, and I don't know if you've seen the film since that sparked the series that I, I went on to continue to do. Um, which we I'm in my sixth film. It's in post-production where we went to South Africa. We went to Haiti, Peru, uh, Vietnam, Colombia. Right. And every single place we visited. And we're, we're you know, we're following kind of like the hip-hop trail, basically. It's like we're, we're allowing hip-hop to be our host to kind of show us the country. Right. Um, and usually in most, in most places, hip-hop, you know, at its purest is in the hood. That's right. right. So we're going into the hood. And when you go into some of these countries, and, I, and, and it, sometimes I feel bad saying third world country or this or that, but they're poor countries, you know? <laughs> and it really, you know, it puts into perspective what we complain about over here. And and, and even about on the music tip, like you just see the, the hunger and the happiness of these guys just doing what they love and hip hop is what they love. And when, when, when we come over there and, and, and they consider us from the States, you know, the Mecca of hip hop and, 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 you know, and they're just like happy that we're even interested in what they're doing. And Correct. it just, it just changing my, my whole perspective. And I come back like more inspired and more invigorated and, and reminded why I love hip hop so much and what got me so into hip hop as a kid, because sometimes the business and the industry, you know, you become jaded and, and you just become turned off to, to the game because the, the industry side, to in my opinion, isn't hip hop. It's industry. It's it's, it's money making industry business. But it's been cloaked now where everything is hip hop. And so generations growing up think that this industry facade is hip hop when we know different. And when I travel to these countries, I see different. This is hip hop. You know, at its purest form, no money being made. They all want money, don't get me wrong, but no money being made. They just want to get props. They just want to go out there and, and create this music. And, and that's dope, man. Yeah. Tell us how how big bass music was down there. We had like the blue Ooh. era. And how was that transition to where, what it is now to where, you know, how the ATL sound has right. been ruling the airways for roughly what since like 2000 2001 right but we wouldn't what call that to in miami i would say it, we wouldn't consider the atl base the same as miami base of course, um, of course. we would consider it different even though you know maybe cousins to each other but growing yeah. up you know base growing up bass music wasn't any different than hip-hop in the beginning like when two live crew came out it was two live crew run dmc nwa like this is the stuff that i'm listening to and no one's saying that two live crew is any different than what nwa they just different region with a couple you know what they're talking about is a little different but it wasn't yeah. different what what ended up happening historically i think for miami is that you know luke when he went off on his own and he kind of like made more of the he wasn't a rapper so he made more like chanting music 
uh-huh. you know, and he just it was all about like the, the, the music for people to dance to the chicks, the, the strip club environment. And it spawned this thing that was like less lyrically infused and more just like music. And, and you know, and I mean, you can go back to the history of bass and all this comes to the Caribbean and, you know, the, the soca and all that stuff. But growing up that all of that stuff was a part of 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 our musical landscape in Miami. Like nobody from Miami could ever denounce bass music and say it's not a part of it, because when we had house parties, you know, you play the reggae to dance with the chick. Then you played the bass music to dance with the female, and then hip hop was just there to like me mug and just like listen to some shit, you know, and play the wall for a second. And then once the reggae came on, you hype again with the female, and then the bass music they walling the fuck out. So it was a part of it. But but what happened is the two communities in Miami, the diehard hip hop heads, and then like the bass community, they splintered, and it seemed like it was like a New York takeover because a lot of people moved from New York to Miami which happened a lot in different cities and they brought this whole thing where it's like hip-hop is synonymous with new york and then the cats in miami a lot of people were like fuck that like you know we miami so they kind of said well then bass is our shit and then hip-hop's your shit uh-huh. and it created this weird division in miami um i feel like we've come back from that but that's what kind of like divided like the two scenes you had the bass scene and then you had this hip-hop scene but there was plenty of people that were born and raised in miami that were just diehard hip-hop heads but it was just that weird parallel scene. Yeah, but but bass is a part of our DNA out here, man. I, you know, if anybody, if anybody look, I, I grew up in New York. If anybody ever lie to you and tell you that in New York we wasn't listening to Luke, that's they crazy. Lie. Yeah, lie. you throw yeah, on. We were definitely listening to Luke. Yeah. Used to blow the walls off of everything. <laughs> yeah. So I know you and Nori worked on. Um, worked on other projects prior to Drink Champs, but how did Drink Champs even come about? How'd you guys set that up? Long story short again, um, Nori moved down to Miami after he did that reggaeton album. Um, mm-hmm. And he ended up coming and moving into to my hood and down the street from my studio. So he was just working out of my studio. I was like, we were friends already at that point. We had done a, lot, a bunch of stuff. And you know, I was like, look, you need my studio for anything, you could use it. And he was damn near in there 24-7. Um, I had connected him with Hazardous Sounds, who was one of our engineers at the time, one of our producers. And so he was working all the time out of the studio. And then we got connected with the homie Leo G at XM Radio. This is before Sirius XM merged. And he offered us to do a radio show on XM, a weekly show, which we took him up on the offer. And we did this show out of my studio called Militame and Crazy Raw Radio. Crazy. Nori came up with that name. That was his name that he wanted to give. I'm, I'm gonna have to take credit for Drink Champs as the name. But anyway, idea was that. I'm gonna ask that too. So, he wanted to put everybody's name in the title of the of the of this radio show. So if you can Google on YouTube. I mean, you can YouTube some clips of that show, and it looks and sounds like Drink Champs. We drink in Tiger Bone. We introduce ourselves the same way. We getting drunk. We talking crazy. The only thing is, we had maybe less guests because we were like deep in the south of Miami and and it just wasn't popping like that you know so we did that for like three years we did it uh after XM and Sirius merged we were on Sirius XM we were on different channels on the on the satellite radio and then we stopped doing it at the same time that we were doing that show though in the studio we were big drinkers in my crew always had all kinds of bottles and you know I was a big rum Bacardi drinker and 
get fucked up. And um, and if you couldn't handle your liquor, we were like, man, you're not a drink champ. And it was just this thing that we would say, you're not a drink champ. I'm a drink champ. We the drink champ. <laughs> and I just loved the way that that sounded, like that rung. And I was like, man, I wonder if anybody has got the dot com on this or got any has grabbed this. Because I didn't know what it would be, but I was just like, man, this is, we, we can make a bar called Drink Champs. I don't know, just dope. A clothing line. Yeah. And I looked and nobody had the dot com. And I'm talking about this is like 10 years, 12 years prior to to Drink Champs, you know? Um, this is like, like 2005 or something. So I grabbed the dot com, I grabbed the, the Twitter, the, the IG, whenever IG had come around. And I, I ended up grabbing the IP on it, basically, the intellectual property well, on man. it. Well, man. And, and then years later, like I said, parallel to the story of the name Drink Champs, Nori and I stopped doing that show, but I wanted to do something similar. And a friend of mine was a big podcast guy down here, this homie uh, Godfrey. He had a, a, a gaming podcast called Gamertag Radio. And he was always advocating, like one thing that I, in that time, at least, podcasters were always like advocating for other people to podcast. It wasn't like other things where people were like, I don't want you to do what I'm doing. He was like, nah, man, y'all should podcast. And it was like foreign at, at first. And in hip hop, it seemed like some nerdy computer shit. Like, who the fucking, nobody going podcast, you know, that ain't cool. But I saw it um, and I would tell Nori and at first Nori didn't see it. And it took about five years, give or take a year. And then um, finally Nori got on board and I had my boy Scam create a logo already. I already had the logo done. My boy Scam, he did the Trap Called Quest album cover, Beach Rhyme and Life. He did the, the stuff in the Eminem album, the first one, all the, the mushroom and all the characters. You know, and he has a song with Eminem that's in the song Stan they mentioned. I even got that shit you got with Scam. So he's he's from Carroll City. He's a Miami native. My homie, fucking legendary artist as well. So he created this fucking legendary logo and once nori was ready because one thing with nori is that if he's not ready it's gonna take forever but once he's ready he's super impatient like you know like you better be ready he's like fuck man you can't even go to the bathroom he's already doing something so he's like all right let's do it let's fucking let's do this shit you know and um i was like, all right i got the name and drink chance i got the logo and he's like ah right, whatever let's go yeah let's go let's do drink champs and, and you know and then we my boy also that dude godfrey he had just did distribution for his podcast on CBS radio and he he gave us the plug and they wanted two pilot episodes to proof of concept basically and we did uh we did um the one with Fat Joe oh yeah and Kenny Anderson yeah Kenny Anderson was the first one we actually recorded but the first one we released was Fat Joe and and the rest is history, man. Yes, sir. And it's a beautiful show, man. God bless you, man. Thank you, thank you, y'all, man. Y'all bring yeah, out probably always thought about about artists. And what I wanted to ask you, who's the most interesting artist you had on the show, and why? Interesting. Everybody has their own interesting side, but the one that I had the most fun with and was most surprised by was Fifty Cent. Cause Ooh. I hadn't, I hadn't really had a a, a lot of interact. I mean, I had interacted with him in the past through mixtape stuff and even through Nori, but I didn't have a lot of interactions with him. And just kind of like seeing everything we've seen of Fifty, I just felt you know he was gonna come guarded to the right. show. And I heard he didn't, dr he doesn't drink, which he doesn't. Right. So he came by himself, and at that time we were recording Lil Haiti, which, which if you don't know in Miami, you know some people would say it's like an infamous area. You know, shit goes down a little Haiti, but whatever, it's, it's fine. But if you're not from Miami, you might be, you know, you might not come alone. Let's just say. That's right. And and so he came alone. I think eventually a homie of his from the, 
from the neighborhood came by. But he came alone and he greeted everybody and just a good sport about it. And then once we started, he was being 50 that he's so fucking smart. He was promoting a vodka at the time. So he's like, well, if I'm going to promote this, I might as well. I got to drink it. So he actually took like three or four shots and he was fucked up. You know, (laughs) he was in rare form, but he had fun with the show. He got the concept. Like some people come to the show guarded on Drink Champs. They think we're, you know, like we're trying to get you drunk, but not. We just want everybody to just have fun. Like if you drink it with your homies. That's right. And he understood that. And we just had a blast with 50, man, which I, it was unexpected for me. I didn't think it was going to be that that much fun, you know? Now, in the cannabis culture that we're in, it almost was like drink champs got turned into smoke champs. Well, we, we, I own that. You know, we, we we got that one down, too. You know, I grabbed that. I grabbed smoke champs. I knew it. I knew it. I knew something. And I don't smoke. And I don't smoke, but everybody around me smokes. And I was like, hold up a second, man. I know that's just good. Someone's going to create that immediately. So I, I, got, I even got the logo. Scam did the logo for that as well. Nice. I got that ready to go. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. Go on it. Go on it, man. Yeah. And, and, and uh, back to when you was talking about uh, your uh, friend doing artwork and all that, right? It's mm-hmm. funny because a friend of mine actually did artwork for you for your show, DeMont Pender. Pender oh, Story, yeah, man. He's, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, hella talented like, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I know him since like 96. Um, yeah. And he was on a show like I think about what, like a month ago, fellas? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. So I was like, man, this this is just it's crazy how the synergy is, you know. I mean, once you really look at it, man, it's a small world in especially yeah. like in hip hop. Like I feel like, you know, what is it, the six degrees of separation and even maybe even less than that. Yeah. That's why that's why be careful how you treat people, you know, because right. you know, we're all connected some way or the other, you know? Yeah, really. Everything. You know, one of the things that I've, I've loved about Drink Champs is just like, it seems like a natural chemistry to vibe, you know, and everybody in the room. But when COVID hit, you guys had the shift to quarantine champs. Do you mm-hmm. feel like that's changed any of the dynamics of the show? Yeah, it's not the same, man. Quarantine champs, I mean, I'm glad we could do it. And, and we did a couple of them. We're back to, to shooting physical episodes again. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I missed a couple because I actually caught COVID. I had the virus for a second. Oh, so, yeah, I got... No, nah, no, nah, I mean, I'm good. I'm, like, I'm, I'm alive. But, uh, you know, but we can't say it for everybody that's caught it, you know. But um, but luckily, you know, I, I got through it. But, yeah, I mean, it's one thing when you sit down with people physically and you're having some drinks. And even if they don't drink, because that's another thing, too, man. You don't have to come to Drink Chance. You don't have to drink. Mm-hmm. And we actually... I think it's dope when someone comes and they're... You know whether they're on some sobriety stuff or they just don't drink i think that's that's a that's a really great message to people out there you know and we always say we'll do all the drinking for you um but but it's just it's not gonna the zoom stuff it's just the way drink champs is with the jokes and the clowning because sunny's over here mr lisa's crazy and boris over there and the weed or someone made a noise and we crap it's just not the same on zoom you know like that's all a part of what i think makes drink champs special you know just having our crew there and it, and it feels like like just a studio vibe yeah you mentioned you mentioned though, like the, um the sobriety stuff yeah, the episode with lamar odom to me was like one of the craziest oh my episodes. God. it was almost like try to flip it that y'all forced him to engage in it but everybody watching it, it was very apparent that he was a willing participant and i didn't see that nori asked him anything crazy out of the ordinary and it was bugged when nori said something like well actually you asked to come here or you know yeah, yeah. Like, that, that one was, was 
most awkward, I would say, Dream Champs yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, I felt bad in that episode, man, just because, you know, I don't want to be a part of anybody's demise if they have substance issues. Yeah. But but the one thing that I would say, you know, and maybe there's some things that I wouldn't have done on the episode that might that happened or things that I didn't want to happen. But overall, man, everybody's an adult. Um, he came with an entourage of people that, if anything, they should have had his best interest at heart. And if, if they saw something wrong, they could have stopped taping. You know, you know, we don't make anybody do anything on the show. And if you watch the show, you will know that Nori's always saying some off the wall shit you know <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he, he asked puffy how j-lo's ass smelled like how her chair if he sniffed her chair like come on man if he's asking puff that like he's not gonna ask lamar odom some shit crazy shit about the car it's just if you watch the show you know nothing's off limits and it's all about just laughs it's not yeah. it's not to hurt you it's just it's just to, to take a dig and joke and you can take you could laugh back at us you could say some shit about my beard or you can right, say right. some shit about nori's teeth or whatever you know like it don't matter you know <laughs> yeah that's crazy man yeah. i want i want the action this goes back to the, the trip you went to cuba talk about zombie a little bit oh zombie man i missed that dude man i got a couple messages like someone sent me some videos of him zombie was in he's a real drink champ he's, real, yeah. <laughs> he's the original drink champ Yo, dude, let me tell you about that guy, man, and, and and I hope he's okay right now with everything going on. Right. Um, but talk about a die-hard hip-hop head. I don't know if you could sense that from the film. Sure. You know, he was he was crazy annoying at one point, but it was funny because there was a he he wouldn't leave us. He was like, I don't want to use the word crackhead, but he was like the crackhead that just won't go away. Like, he, <laughs> it was kind of like that vibe, you know. And he was just going in our refrigerator and going in our bags and grabbing shit. And he's like, oh, he would go zombie half, zombie half. You know, like no zombie, you can't have that. But there was a there was a day that we we're gonna take a, a trip somewhere in the, in 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 the island, and you know, Denai Suarez, the artist we were with, that she was nice. friends with him she you know she's like yo you can't come you know and he's like no i want to come you know he's getting mad she's like you can't come you know she told him no and we left and i remember how much we missed him that day wow. i'm like bro this uh, we missed the dude and and we came back and we're like zombie here take all our shit <laughs> <laughs> and you know i could tell you straight up man like that's the type of dude that he he has a lot of issues in his life like with his family and and, and i'm pretty sure he has mental health issues himself um He's been actually after we left, he was institutionalized in Cuba. Wow. But uh, yeah, but I could tell you that if anything's kept that guy as sane as he could possibly be, it was hip hop. It, it is hip hop. And right. he has such a love for hip hop. And his name wasn't Zombie, but after we left, like that wasn't his nickname. After we left, he's a zombie. Like he prides himself <laughs> on it. Because <laughs> that was kind of a diss. We're like, hey, this is zombie ass motherfucker. <laughs> and it's for him. I love that. I love that. About about the documentary and y'all come to find out that these guys were already listening to hip hop. Oh, and yeah. and one I think one of the brothers was saying if there was a track that that they all liked, they all rapped around the same track. So if you rap the best on that track, that was yeah. your track. You yep. And I just thought that was dope. And I and I remember um Dead Prez and Black August going yep. for the political prisoners. Yeah, out of Shakur, out of Shakur being out there, finding out she was out there, and there, you know, just bridging the gap. And yep. listen to one of the guys talk about hip hop. It almost sound like 
I remember the Bronx being like that. Mm-hmm. Very dilapidated environment, but being able to create out of that environment and talk about the political issues or whatever issues you got going on in your environment, it just sound like it just sound like wow, this is happening over the world. But at the same time, music is bringing us out of it. Yeah. It- you know what's ill too that, that I don't know if you I mean I, I from the sound of it you got it as well is that it surprises me and I don't know why it surprised me but it surprised me how well they articulate hip hop in America like right. they they get it where you would think that maybe they might not get it or language barrier or culture barriers right. it's like they get it where sometimes people here don't fucking get it yeah, yeah. that's true that's the truth though yeah yes I was with the, with the transition uh being that you were you were you were born in LA. Yeah. So how was the transition of that experience with music and culture and everything and when you moved to Miami, when you moved to Florida, like was it was it difficult? Was it a lot of barriers or, or not really? Musically it wasn't too crazy because I, I came young, but uh lifestyle change, like culturally in terms of like city culture, it was night and day and it just, you know, my parents were separating and my dad moved to Miami and it was like the height of the cocaine cowboys and he was right. up to, you know, doing his thing out here. And and like we would be in LA and we would be living in the hood and then we'd come here and we were like hood rich. And then, but my dad, he's a Vietnam vet and he was going through his shit and right. he had substance abuse issues and we would be leaving in the middle of the night going back. Like I moved five times back and forth because my mom had to like literally escape my father and his craziness you know and get us out out of danger um and so because of all that i hated miami at first you know i come from this dry air environment in la in terms of like the weather like this different kinds of weather and then you come i came here in the summer and it's fucking monsoon rains it's humid my dad is a fucking monster in my as a little kid he's like this monster that i'm scared shitless of and i'm like yo fuck this place man you know and i would tell my mom like don't let us get the fuck out of here man we're gonna die here you know which which almost did a couple times but um eventually you know my mom she just we stayed here when she did they finalized their divorce and my dad ended up dipping out of here because shit just got too hot for him out here Mm. and um and then i made my chops out here man but it was you know once i i made my friends like my diehard crew that I'm still with today, that's like the foundation of Crazy Hood, and I'm a, I'm a I'm an only child, so they became my brothers, and that brotherhood is what you know like made me just you know like Miami became my home after that. Yeah. So what's next for Crazy Hood? Uh, Drink Champs, DJ EFN, whatever. <laughs> Bro, we just keep keep going, man. Keep keep uh keep pushing the brands and and. And you know, coming home, I'm still like I said, I'm excited. We're we're in post production with with South Africa. We got Colombia that we never released publicly that I, that we finished um, a year ago, and mm-hmm. and just you know, keep pushing the brands, man, and just keep making a living. To be honest with you, man, like just got to be grateful. I'm grateful every day that I can make a living doing my passions, mm-hmm. and, and as long as I could do that, you know, I'm I'm good, man. And I'm raising these kids now, so that's a whole other ball game. I'm. I'm a 45 year old guy with two little kids right now. It's shit's crazy. I should have been like my friends who had kids when they were teenagers, and now their kids are grown and in college. I done fucked yeah. up, man. And that's the hardest, <laughs> hardest shit you ever gonna do too. Just to give you a heads up. That what? That's the hardest shit you gonna ever do raising them kids. Yo, I started a podcast with some homies called Fatherhoods. Fatherhoods podcast, and it's all about you know parenting and 
parenting from like where we all come from in the culture and hip hop and we have like like Bumby talking about being a grandfather and and Angie Martinez talking about being a mother to to men to boys in the Me Too movement and stuff like that that we we tackle on the show so I would tell people Dude. to check that out. Yeah, no, it's, it's real. Well, we want to thank you. We appreciate you coming on and you know, again, thanks for your time.